Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, before we get into the message, I want to celebrate something. Yesterday, if you had a chance to come by, we had a big yard sale in partnership with Helping Hands for the Deaf, uh, a ministry that uh, many people in our church are involved in that reaches out to the deaf community and helps provide very practical services. So thank you for donating. Thank you, those who shared your time. And uh, yesterday, in partnership with them, $1,500 was raised for their ministry. So thank you all. Thank you for donating your junk to us, and uh, we're grateful it's not here this morning. It went somewhere. We don't know, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a blessing. So thank you. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, a lot of times when we give, we don't think about giving to, uh, you know, pay the property mortgage and the lights and the heating and air, but our building also becomes a mission base for God's love, and this was a tangible example of that, reaching out and blessing the community through our, our property here on this road that gets more and more traffic all the time. So um, glad you're here this morning. Even those of you who stayed up late and already have the t-shirts of the NL, what is it, National League, National League Champions. Y'all, y'all know I didn't watch the game last night. I was asleep, okay? I was asleep. Uh, but whether you're an Astros fan, a Braves fan, Dodgers fan, we're glad you're here in the house of the Lord this morning. And we're going to talk about complicated relationships together. And some of you might not know this, but I actually love complicated relationships, as long as they're on television, okay? So when I was in seminary, my friends used to make fun of me because I used to watch this show. My mom calls it trash television, the Jersey Shore. And if you're not familiar with the show, you can imagine the premise. It's uh, about 12, 20-somethings who are all single, thrown into a house on the Jersey Shore together. And they cook, they do projects, they work, they go to the club, they do all that kind of stuff together. I don't recommend the show, but you know, it was a very dramatic show because they would fight over the dishes, they would fight over the kitchen recipes, they would do a group project together, they would always be bickering over guys and girls and all that kind of stuff. And for me, at the end of a long day after dealing with drama and complicated stuff in my own life, it was kind of nice to just watch somebody else's drama so I could forget about my own. I don't know if any of you do that. Anybody? So that was then. I've moved on now. I've matured a little bit. So that was about a decade ago. So now I've moved on from Jersey Shore to The Bachelor and The Bachelor franchise. And uh, it's not worse. I tell you that. It is not worse. Um, any, any Bachelor fans in here? Any, any Bachelor nation? Nobody will admit it? Just one or two? One or two? Okay. All right. Well, you know, the premise is there's a Bachelor and there's all these women competing for his heart. And you know, I don't watch every season. I just watch them every once in a while because most seasons are the same. You can imagine kind of what happens uh, when they all get together vying for one person's heart. And so uh, usually, uh, I have an image here to kind of display what happens. Usually it's like this. Usually you have a guy like Bachelor Ben. These are stock photos from the internet. I don't know these people. You got Ben and he's there. He's looking for love. And then you have uh, Jesse and you have Mackenzie, okay? Jesse's a little more fun. Mackenzie's a little more serious. And uh, they're all vying for his heart. And so they spend about five minutes with him and they realize this is the one they've been praying for all their lives. Both of them feel like this is the one God has been preparing. And so uh, Jesse has a one on one with Ben. She talks to him, shares her heart, and how from the moment she met him, this is it. And then, you know, Mackenzie says the same thing. And then Jesse has some more. 
time with him. And, you know, they're professing their own love, but then they realize they're actually competing for his heart. And so they have to, you know, kind of get the others out. And so Jessie will say something like this. She'll say, Ben, I just need to let you know, I don't like this. It doesn't make me comfortable to say this, but I need to let you know about Mackenzie, okay? I need to let you know who she really is. I don't think she's here for the right reasons, and she is just trying to be an Instagram influencer and build her platform on TikTok and Instagram, and like she is not here for you. And I just need to tell you that because I'm not sure if anybody else will, okay? So then Ben's like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And then Mackenzie goes to Ben and says, hey, I'm in love with you. This is what I've been waiting for all my life. She shares about her childhood and has like some vulnerability. And then she's like, also, I need to let you know about Jesse. I need to let you know about Jesse because who you see is not the real Jesse. We see her in the house and she is mean. She's vindictive. She spreads gossip. And she actually said she likes blondes. She doesn't even like brunettes. And then Ben is like now caught in the middle of all this. And so what happens is we who are sitting at home our anxiety is raised because we start seeing all of this drama and all of these relationships in the house. Ben finds himself in the midst of all of these complicated relationships and then week after week, none of you except two of you, but millions of Americans tune in to watch other people's drama and complicated relationships so they don't have to think about their own. And what happens on The Bachelor with, with this triangle right here is, is something that happens in a lot of our lives in different ways. And the psychological concept of what this is, is the psychological concept is called triangulation. Okay, can you say that with me? Triangulation. And triangulation is basically the idea of, of what happens when three or more people are involved in a relationship that should really only involve two people. And so, Jessie's inserting herself and Ben and McKenzie's relationship. McKenzie's inserting herself. And you've probably seen this play out in your life as well. I mean, maybe, maybe your mother-in-law calls you and says, hey, I, I just want to let you know my daughter is upset. She's upset with what's going on in your marriage. This is news to you. Your wife hasn't said anything to you, but now the mother-in-law is calling and she proceeds to tell you all the things you need to start doing and all the things you need to stop doing in your marriage. Okay, triangulation. Instead of it being between these two people, now there's this other person who's kind of inserted themselves uninvited into the relationship. Or workplaces. Anybody seen this in your workplace? Where there's like that employee, or maybe in your class at school, there's that employee who's always just going around, you know, eating people's food out of the, the refrigerator, and they don't answer emails. They do all that stuff. And so everybody is bickering to one another and talking about this coworker amongst themselves and to the higher-ups, but nobody ever goes to the coworker. And whenever you go into work, you feel a little anxious, you feel a little uh, complicated feelings, and it just creates this environment where people are walking on eggshells. Or with like friends, mutual friends, this happens where you know, there's three friends, they all know each other, and then one friend is complaining to you about the other friend, and you're friends with the other friend, and now you're like, what am I supposed to do? I've been inserted into this situation. I've been triangulated when really they should just deal with it themselves. And, and here's the truth. Triangulation always leads to complications. 
Triangulation, when, when other people jump into the relationship, the conversation who aren't invited, it always leads to complications in TV world and in our everyday lives. And now, this is not new. Although the term triangulation might be a more of a, a modern term, this has been happening for hundreds of years. This has been happening for thousands of years. And if you think about Jesus and his disciples, I mean, sometimes we get to the idyllic view that, you know, we think of these portraits that were on display in our churches as kids, the, all the disciples getting along together. But if you think about the disciples, I mean, it was 12 people, some of them were family members, but 12 people, largely random, thrown into life together, and they weren't thrown into a house like on the Jersey Shore. They didn't have a house. They were thrown into itinerant ministry where they're following the Savior of the world. They're watching miracles. They're, they're casting out demons. They're feeding the hungry, and they're doing this for years together. They're doing this for years together. So you can imagine along the way that there were some complications in the midst of their relationships. And last week, we, we looked at, at one of the things that complicated their relationships. We, we talked about forgiveness. And we talked about how unforgiveness can complicate our relationships. And so uh, that passage we looked at last week, if you remember, in Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus. And you can kind of imagine, maybe imagine the scene here, like James and John and some others are like right here over his shoulder. And Peter says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive people? who sin against me? Like how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister who, who wronged me? And maybe he was referring to all these other disciples who when they were bickering with each other. And Jesus, as we talked about, says not once, not twice, but 70 times seven, 77 times. Or basically he says you need to forgive over and over again. You need to forgive as you've been forgiven by God. And so he helps give them some wisdom for their relationships and for this thing that complicates their relationships. And in Matthew 18, he, he touches on, on a, another kind of relational piece of wisdom. And in Matthew chapter 5, he touches on it as well. And he gives us an idea of how we can avoid triangulation and complication in our relationships. And he gives us an idea of how we can pursue reconciliation with those we find ourselves in community with. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. And there, Jesus says this. If your brother or sister sins against you, post on social media and let everybody know. That's a preacher joke, you know. If your brother or sister sins against you, send a group text. No. No. If your brother or sister sins against you, we talked about this last week, get a crew, key their car, slash their leather seats. No. No, none of that. Jesus says this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go. Go and correct them when you are alone together. This is a simple teaching from Jesus, but it's not an easy teaching. He says, when someone has sinned against us and is in need of our forgiveness, he tells us to go. And he doesn't say, go gather a bunch of people together and, you know, figure all this out. No, he says, go to the other person, 
directly. Go to them one-on-one and have a conversation. Have a conversation about what's going on. And, and this is honestly like a way that we can avoid kind of triangulated relationships and complicated things in the midst of our lives. We're to go to them directly. And when we go to people directly, what we can do is we can, we can tell them about how they've wronged us. We can, we, can, we can speak to them. We can be honest about our feelings, about what we've experienced. They can do the same thing. We can actually communicate and try to get to the bottom of what happens when we go together. That's what he says to do when we've been sinned against and we've been wronged. But then elsewhere in Matthew, he tells us what to do when we are the ones who have sinned against others and we are the ones who have wronged other people. So Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we touched on this a little bit this summer, Jesus says this, he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift at the altar and, can you say it with me? Go. Go. He, he, he says, says the same thing. He uses the same word. He says, go. Jesus says when we've wronged others and they have something against us and we realize it, we need to go. And he mentions here uh, the temple. He, or mentions the, the, the altar and the altar, maybe you grew up at a church and they had like an altar table or called it an altar rail. I mean, here, he's not exactly referring to that. He's referring to a historical place inside of the temple, the altar there in the temple. And uh, when people would make offerings and sacrifices at the altar, I mean, there would be a lot of preparation. It would be a high and a holy time. This wasn't something people did every day. This is something that took a lot of preparation. And so Jesus is speaking here in the area of the Galilee and he's saying, he's 80 miles from the temple. And basically he's saying, look, if you travel and you prepare and you get to the temple and you're about to make this offering and suddenly you remember someone has something against you because of what you've done, he says, go. Leave that stuff there. Go have the conversation. Go, meet with the other person, have the conversation. If it's 80 miles, go 80 miles. If it's five miles, go five miles. If it's one mile, go one mile. If it's outside and they're in the steps of the temple court, step outside, go, he says. And he continues, first, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Go, make it right with other people, then come back and, and finish your act of worship. Finish getting right with God. I mean, this is, this is, this is some simple truths from Jesus, but these aren't easy, are they? Because, I mean, if you're like me, I, I mean, I, I read this and I think, you know, Jesus, it's been a while, it's been a while since some of these things I've done to people, and that's going to be super awkward if I reach out and we try to have a conversation. It's, it's been a while, so it's like, Jesus, okay, you know what, I don't know about that. Or, or we think, you know, Jesus, I've actually gotten pretty comfortable in my complicated relationships. This is just kind of like how, how it is now. I'm comfortable in that, and it's going to be really uncomfortable to have a conversation about 
any of the dysfunction here. Or like, uh, it's like, hey, Jesus, I've, I've talked to you about it. I've talked to you about it. We've had lots of conversations. I don't really understand why I need a conversation with somebody else about it because me and you, like, we're good. You know, we're good. I don't know that I need to go to anybody else. Right, like, we can come up with all sorts of reasons why we, we shouldn't listen to this wisdom from Jesus about going and having conversations and, and pursuing reconciliation in our relationships this is hard stuff. And so I think it's important to kind of dive deeper a little bit and understand why Jesus tells us to go, when Jesus tells us to go, and how Jesus tells us to go. And these questions about why go, when go, how to go, these questions in this framework of, uh, of thinking about it, um, I got from another pastor, Clay Scroggins, and it's helped me kind of figure this out in my own life because I'm not somebody that loves conflict and loves doing this any more than the rest of you. And if you're one of those people who says they love conflict, uh, most people are like, okay, just let me stay far away from you, right? <laughs> but when we look at why we're called to go, why Jesus gives us these commands, I think there's a, there's a practical answer and then I think there's a deeper theological answer. And the practical answer is this. Conversations lead to less complications. Conversations lead to less complications. And, and here, Jesus, he, he's really speaking, when he's, when he's talking about brother or sister, he's speaking um, kind of to brothers and sisters in Christ. But I would say whether you believe in Jesus Christ, whether you follow Jesus Christ, in all of our relationships... This principle of going and having a conversation about conflict in the midst of our relationships is going to be helpful. Generally, it's going to be helpful in all of our relationships because when we're able to go to somebody face-to-face and talk with them about what's going on and we're able to share our heart, we're able to hear somebody else's heart, we're able to get to the root of the problem. Sometimes we realize there's not even a problem. We were both just kind of feeling some kind of stress or some kind of way. And the first week in this series, we talked about pursuing empathy. And when we're able to get across the table from somebody and talk with them and hear their story, we're able to understand their perspective a little more. They're able to understand our perspective. And the goal of these conversations, of course, is, is peace. It's, it's peace. It's experiencing peace in the midst of the relationship. And so very practically, conversations lead to less complications. But theologically, I think there's, a, there's also a, a deeper answer. And, and that's this. A lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God, we think our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, that they're independent. But here, Jesus is telling us our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, they're actually intertwined. They're connected. And so if you go to Barnes and Noble, the one Barnes and Noble left in our country, it's in Morrow, Georgia, okay? If you go there, it's an actual bookstore, and you can go to the self-help section, and you can find all sorts of books about relationships with other people. We might think of these as our horizontal relationships. And, And our world and secular culture, secular culture largely focuses on these horizontal relationships because they're important, they matter, they affect our peace. 
And then if you go to, go, to, go to churches, particularly some churches, it's really all about our relationship with God. And our relationship with God and how through Jesus Christ, atoning sacrifice on the cross, we receive reconciliation, we're made right with God, and, and we can experience that personal relationship with God. And that's a good thing. But what Jesus is pointing us to is that, that our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, they're not independent, they are connected. And he wants us to think about both of them. And so when he gives us this little illustration about the temple, I mean, it's kind of a wild illustration because there, as somebody is worshiping God, as they're going, they're making this offering, Jesus says, actually, you need to leave and you need to make reconciliation with other people a priority over your worship. You need to make that a priority over your worship of God. But then he says, of course, come back and finish your act of worship. Jesus says, don't focus on one to the exclusion of the other. Focus on both. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a tough verse. But here's what we read there. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. See what he's saying? They're, they're intertwined. Dorothy Day, a Catholic, Catholic social activist, said it this way, I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. I heard that many years ago and it's haunted me ever since. They're not independent, they're intertwined. God calls us to love himself and love other people. To pursue peace with him and to pursue peace with other people. He wants us to experience peace in every aspect of our lives, including relationships. So he tells us to go. And there's this question of when to go. And it's, it's pretty clear here. I mean, he says, hey, if you've sinned against someone and you've wronged them, go. If you've been sinned against and someone has wronged you, Go. Go and have this conversation. And, and uh, one commentary I was reading put it this way. It said that right relationships demand decisive action. And so Jesus, he, he tells us like, hey, go quickly. He's saying, look, don't delay. Go quickly and pursue reconciliation in your relationships and have these important conversations. And now I don't want you to, to, to show up at anybody in our church's house tonight at 3 a.m. and like be banging on the door and say, Pastor Jonathan told me to come and have a conversation with you, okay? I think we can be wise and discerning here. Maybe wait until the morning, okay? Maybe wait until the morning and have the conversation. Jesus doesn't tell us the exact location of the conversation, but the location of the conversation can be important as well. And this is, uh, you know, a general truth Jesus is saying. And I'll also say this. We've been saying it each week. Here, here we're talking generally about complicated relationships, 
But, but if, if it's a situation where you're going to be physically unsafe going to this other person, come talk with me, talk to some other church leaders. We will help give you wisdom. If this is an abusive relationship and it's very complicated, talk with us. We, we will help you out, figure out how to apply this in your life. Because boundaries are important. Your safety is important. But, but generally, Jesus is saying, go, go today and don't delay. Pursue this reconciliation. And then how should we go? I, I found there's, there's kind of like two ways you can go when you're having one of these conversations. There's, there's one way which is like gearing up for battle. And, and you have like your defensive mechanisms on. You're ready to deflect anything that comes your way. You have a shield up emotionally. And you're like, I'm not going down today. I'm not going to apologize for anything. I am going to destroy whoever is in front of me. Any, you know what I'm talking about? You start rehearsing. You start rehearsing it all in your head. And if they say this, I'm going to say that. I'm going to hit them, hit them. Verbally. Those are verbal punches, okay? But like there's that way we can prepare like we're preparing for battle. But then there's another way we can prepare like we're preparing for the relationship to go deeper. And we're preparing to to maybe experience a deeper level of love in our relationship. And that's when we go with a willingness to listen to other people, a willingness to share and be vulnerable about what we've experienced. We go with a posture of humility and with a spirit of love. It's another way we can go into these conversations. And a lot of times when we think of these conversations, think about confrontation, and we're like, oh, that's going to be terrible, it's going to be horrible, but... In Latin, the Latin term confrontation, it means this, to turn your face toward someone and to look at them frontally. And so it's this idea that when we have these conversations and we go to other people, we're facing them, they're facing us, we're able to identify the barriers that are separating us and hopefully we can remove them so we can experience love and peace together. And, and so if you go and you're, you're going and you're going to try to deflect and you're going to try to demean and you're going to try to shame and guilt somebody else, like, you know what, it's probably not going to be that successful of a conversation. But if you go with a spirit of love and a posture of humility and you're willing to listen and if you've been wronged, you're willing to forgive. And if you've wronged other people, you're willing to repent. Then I would say there's actually going to be the possibility of transformation through sitting down together and having a conversation. And in all of this, I want to remind you of a verse that we've been looking at each week. It's kind of the theme verse for this series, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Would you read it with me? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And the truth is, it's not always possible. Some people, you're going to risk reaching out and they're going to say, absolutely, I don't want to talk to you ever again. And then I think you respect that boundary they put up. Other times you're going to go and, and you're going to let somebody know how they hurt you, and they're going to say, I, no. 
You're going to risk vulnerability. You're, you're going to try. Sometimes you're going to realize, you know what, in, in this relationship, I've done all I can do as it depends on me. And unfortunately, on this side of heaven, it's, it's, it's not possible. But what we've been talking about in this series is that God calls us, as far as it depends on us, to pursue peace. And so he wants us to pray, to pray for these relationships that are complicated, to pursue empathy and, and put on other people's perspectives. He wants us to be people who are people of forgiveness, who forgive as we've been forgiven. And, and he's telling us today, he wants us to be people who are willing to risk a conversation in the hopes of experiencing transformation. And all we can do is take that step. All we can do is take that step and then trust God with the rest. God has made peace with us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He calls us to pursue peace with everyone we encounter, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and this story, this idea of, of pursuing peace, this is the story of a man named Billy Neil Moore. And uh, Billy Neil Moore, we have a picture of him here. He, he in 1977, was stationed at uh, Fort Gordon in Augusta. He found himself on hard times and he wasn't able to, to pay his bills and was trying to take care of his family. And he heard about a guy in town who who carried a lot of cash for them. And so one night he, he went to the guy's house and he was armed. The 77-year-old man whose house he went into was armed. They had a shootout and he ended up killing this older man. And soon he was sentenced to the death penalty here in the state of Georgia. And the week before he was set to be executed, a pastor came and visited him. And the pastor told him about God's forgiveness, God's love, and how reconciliation and redemption with God were possible. And there, that week before his execution, he believed. He received this good news of Jesus into his heart, and he was baptized in a prison bathtub there. And then he awaited his day of execution. His day of execution came. And then it went. And another day passed. And he didn't know what was going on. And then he got a letter from his lawyer saying, oh yeah, by the way, in Georgia, executions are automatically appealed. So yeah, you weren't going to be executed this week. And he was like, wow, I wish that would have been told to me. That would have been nice to know can imagine how traumatic that would be. So he fired his lawyer and he, he said, you know, I'm going to take up the case on my own. And so he, he started getting all the paperwork together. And there in the paperwork, he found the name and addresses of the family members of his victim. And as a newfound Christian, he, he couldn't have a face-to-face conversation with them. But he pursued peace as it was possible for him. And so he wrote the family a letter there from prison. And he, he wrote this. 
He said, I want you to know that I'm truly sorry for all the pain and suffering that I've caused each one of you. And if you can find it in your hearts to forgive me, I really would truly appreciate it. But if you don't, I understand because I don't forgive myself for the terrible suffering I have brought you all. And a week later, he got a response from the family. And they said this, Dear Billy, we are Christians and we forgive you and pray to God for your soul and hope for the best in your life. And he was he was stunned. He, he was stunned that he would hear back from the family because he's thinking, you know what, this is hopeless. I'm going to write this letter. Nothing's ever going to come from it. He was stunned. He was shocked. And he's like, I can't even like, believe somebody could just forgive like that. And so he began writing letters to the family members regularly. And he continued to write letters. And then over time he came up for parole and he found out that the family had been writing letters to the parole board in Georgia as well. Advocating for his release. And during these years when his family members would come in town to visit him... In prison, sometimes his family members would stay with the family members of his victim and they would feed them meals. And in 1991, his sentence was commuted and they said by and large it's because of the family advocating for him. And when he was released, he said the family received him like a brother. And there was reconciliation there. Now Billy Neal Moore goes around the country sharing a message of peace, a message about God's forgiveness, and a message about how reconciliation is possible. And I share with you this story and I shared with you the story of Corey Tim Boom last week. Because stories like this give me hope that in the midst of the brokenness, in the anger, and the division of our world today, they give me hope that forgiveness and reconciliation are still possible. They give me hope that, you know what, if it could happen in the midst of these terrible circumstances, in the midst of Billy Neal Moore's life, maybe... In my less complicated circumstances, I can experience transformation as well. And I share the story with you this morning in hopes that you will see that perhaps in your story, God is still at work and you can experience peace, you can experience forgiveness, you can experience transformation in your relationships too. And so this morning, would you bow your heads and pray with me? as we ask God to make it so in each of our lives. Heavenly Father, so often we confess that peace seems like an impossibility. When we look at our lives and, and the things that have happened to us and the things that we've done, we can think that they're there is no hope for restoration. There's no hope for reconciliation. 
And this is just the way things are. But God, this morning, would you fill us with hope? Would you fill us with hope that because of what your son Jesus Christ has done for us, fill us with hope that we can have peace with God. We know you've made that possible. And that that's a gift we receive through faith. God, fill us with hope that peace in our relationships with others is possible. And God, we pray that you would just help us do our part. Help us take our next step trusting you and your transforming power along the way. And so God, this morning we lift before you things that are very complicated and God, things that we feel like aren't even worth praying about. But God, we lift all of our relationships before you right now. We pray that your spirit would move in them. That your spirit would move with power. That your spirit would move with restoration. God, we pray that your spirit would fill us with love and humility. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen.